Kia ora and welcome to the Stag Raw Podcast. This is episode 261, joined by Ryan Gilly Gilbert. We talk about his forged training, um, his time in the military, um, and yeah, get have an awesome chat um, in person, which was absolutely awesome. Um, it's always great uh, being able to do things in person. I'm looking forward to the Seeker Show this weekend, being able to chat with lots of people and, um, yeah, really catch up and, and do things in per- person. Of course, the podcast is brought to you by Kane's Deer Valet. Often, often we happily spend our money on maintaining our vehicles and homes, but more reluctant to do so with our own bodies. While diet, exercise and clean living can go so far, our bodies sometimes can't keep up with the demands and then injuries, aches and pains tend to become increasingly troublesome. This is because some of the vital nutrients the body uses to maintain our joints and general well-being have become depleted. On the flip side, it's astounding how well the body heals when it has what it needs. With Gaines Deer Velvet on board, the body is refueled with amazing nutrients it uses in maintaining the immune system, bones, joints, circulation and general well-being. With the tank topped up, it can get on with the magic of healing and restoration. Find out more at www.gainesdeervelvet.com and use the code STAGRAW252 for a 20% introductory discount. So you can find that, um, Ryan's links, and links to other discount codes in the show notes. Be sure to check them out. That's the best way to support the podcast. Enjoy episode 261 with Ryan from Forge. There you go. So I've got the microphones around the right way this time. Yep. Whereas with Adam, I had them around the wrong way. <laughs> oh, facing that the other way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Help yourself to a, a reaper. Oh, yeah, man. I like these. It's the uh, light and fizzy one. Ooh. So it's yep. not a, it's not quite as intense as the old um, performance. <sighs> but it's still got that delicious Ribena taste. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Like The last time I had one, I actually felt like as I was driving, like just a lot. Like not sharp, eh? Switched yeah. on, but not tweaking, not, not jittered. Yeah, not coffee or like slam an energy drink kind of thing. It was, <laughs> that's what I like about it too. It doesn't have that like, yeah, yeah, that kind of nasty aftertaste. Some of those, some of those other drinks have, eh? Like the energy drinks. When did you last so, have an energy drink? On the way to Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> so you, so like, you're f- familiar with the feeling. Oh yeah, I still just like to have something nice to dry, like yeah. to drink when I'm driving, like something a bit sweet. So yeah, mm. definitely gonna. I'll start drinking more of these, eh? Yeah. The other thing, um, through talking with Rob Wolf, he uh, sent me the drink elements, and and they've got uh, magnesium in them. Oh, yeah. And I find that's the same. Like, just like hasn't. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't get people in my circle to like it. Although my daughter quite likes quite likes the watermelon flavour. Yeah. She fiends on that. Okay. And But yeah, salty water, eh? We we had it. For filled up an entry bottles on Sunday in the glorious Hawke's Bay sun and you know oh what is that oh salty water give it give it to people and they're like ooh don't like that <laughs> but it was again funny um, my girlfriend's niece who's one it was her first birthday she was like like sucking it up the straw where it's just like the standard water she was like nah and was, so that was like that was interesting <laughs> I was like oh you like a bit of stevia eh <laughs> yeah, stevia yeah but yeah I don't think I've had that yeah, it's a stevie, stevie, yeah. So that's that's good, but yeah, definitely. Um, was that calm and clarity? 
in the L theanine. It's good for going to sleep with. Which is ironic when it like switches you on, focuses you, but it's also good for going to sleep. L-theanine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How does that work then? Maybe you just... Can't remember. Drop in like you could... You're not so flustered about something, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. <coughs> yeah, I think it inhibits GABA. Jeez. It's one of those... Do you know Andrew Huberman? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those podcasts where he just like rattles off about a thousand different supplements and pathways and stuff. And you're like, oh yeah, cool. Need to listen to that four more times to mm. get get the um, implementable actions out of that. Yeah, I like that. That's why I like listening to him and those like even in the clip kind of format. Yeah, like just breaking down little points. I, I saw one on that really stuck with me on smoking and vaping mm-hmm. of how they're both equally as bad and i've heard like a lot of people like vaping talking about it like it's just as addictive it's just as like costly than you know buying cigarettes is. i smoked for like 15 years mm-hmm. and on and off like vaping for the last maybe two and it's just been one of those like i've heard the argument of like no nah, vaping's better it's like well vaping doesn't smell real foul when you don't have like yellow fingertips and teeth that you know the fl- so it's one of those like kind of I'll take the vaping trade off. Lesser of two evils. Yeah, I think so. How'd you start smoking? In the army. Yeah, yeah. which is, I was, I had that, I thought I'd heard you saying that you'd smoked. Yeah. Um, I had that thought driving up, like how counterintuitive. Like you, you know, when thinking about like Vietnam and shit, you know what it was all about. But like how that hasn't really left the army is like. A thing to do and in the same like mm. you know get get off i don't know what you even call it now like patrol or or, or exercise or whatever and go and get blasted drunk and stuff like that mm. like it's pretty old school like, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 like all the all the deployments over went on they were all dry like yeah. no alcohol no drinking yeah uh, people find ways to drink mm-hmm. yeah, people find ways to um yeah to to break all the rules in some ways but yeah alcohol is i've always been pretty grateful for that mm-hmm. that there wasn't like that we weren't coming back off patrol and just having like all this alcohol there because it's like you're there for a long time and it's like yeah different different um wars eh? You know, yeah vietnam like it was yeah it was so long ago that just yeah times have changed and um, a lot of the cultures change now even from when i got into like now yeah like it's it's just changed a lot, eh? Like these um, soldiers into different things, and yeah, yeah. It was um that dust off forty Willie Peters book that which I've mentioned a few times. Oh yeah. Um, they they must have got like a week off or something, and yeah, they got basically put in military prison for a bit just because they got so leery, and I think they like didn't get let back into the barracks or something. So then they just like had a riot or some shit or a little fuck. I can't quite remember it but yeah. yeah they got up to no good and ended up in military police oh, yeah. yeah and then and then the again the like the bravado type thing they had this thing against military police that oh they're just such party poopers type vibe it's yeah. like guys you guys were you know supposed to be there on duty and you've just had a massive leer up yeah man <laughs> there's a I've got a copy of that dust off for Willie Peters at home on the bookshelf yeah to read it's been recommended it was given to me by a good friend but i read one um uh from one of the breathwork mentors 
it was led to um, through one of my like mentors. Uh, well, it's the the guy who taught her how to do it. He served in Vietnam, wow, in the infantry yeah. there, and he sent me a copy of his book. So I sent him a bit of a letter saying, "Oh, like, wow, there's someone else who was in, especially in the infantry, and someone who deployed to Vietnam and went to uh, uh, the siege, of the Tet Offensive. Okay, I think it was like '62." Um, the Tet Offensive was supposed to be the super. Have you, have you heard about no, that in no. Vietnam? So it was. Um, it's probably one, it was one of the most chaotic periods because it was believed that the Viet Cong and the Viet um, the the North Vietnamese Army were. It's like a peace holiday, like it's a chill out holiday, and then it's like celebration time. Whereas they actually hit all the American bases at once, like in full force. So they were there for all of that. And re- yeah, reading through his book, anyway, it's, it comes up. At, he's talking about it at the start about um, how like on their way over to vietnam staying in uh malaysia mm-hmm. they were already in, in trouble but because they were they'd all been getting on the juice and like running around and like just having all of that kind of stuff go on like, yeah of course you know they're going to go out to town and something's going to get smashed or a nightclub's going to have like a thunder flash or a smoke grenade they found all the ladies <laughs> and all that sort of shit yep, like yeah. full like like that stuff doesn't change yeah um yeah it was really cool to re- just read through this book and to see like we were about the same age mm-hmm. going overseas, but just in very different times. Was and that nine, 1970? Uh, 60. Oh, sorry, how old was he? 19. He was 22. 22, yeah. 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 And the, he, the, the book's written from his diaries. So it's some very, like, very vivid accounts of, you know, the whole um, deployment in Vietnam from. You know, getting on the ground and the initial shakeout and cruise around and walking around and meeting the locals through till um, the end where you know they'd sustained casualties and they'd lost. I think uh, I think it was five in their company. Mm-hmm. The, the company name was the same Bravo Company as the company I served in for like three, like my first four years. Um, but yeah, just to read through that and just to go like some detail in there, um, especially like considering what he does now as like a breathwork facilitator and he's written about about 10 15 books name's colin system he's written about 10 15 books on on breath work and there's one there where you know it's his story about vietnam and and during the in the book he cuts back to moments of going through a breath work like a uh releasing trauma like with a with a facilitator there and just recounting these things as Mm. the years went on after the war like getting into his 30s like 10 you know 10 years later and you know still encountering that still a whole lot of emotional things buried things he saw things he did um but and to just write it all out in a book like here's the whole story the gritty nitty gritty stuff killing and yeah does he talk about his reaction to reliving it yeah 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 and it's that's what i really liked about it and that it was where the um i found a lot of the value for myself was really just in going back through those moments like especially the traumatic ones that are it could be something that you're you're, you're very aware of it or it could be something very subconscious and below the surface of just that for me it was like that anxiety feeling mm-hmm. of something's about to happen and to go back through uh those moments from in the third person almost and yeah i was gonna ask is it dissociative from the experience yeah i my experiences with it um, started when I went to this breathwork workshop in Auckland. Mm-hmm. It's called the O2 Awakening at the time. They're called Awaken Breathwork now. Um, but going into this workshop and you pretty much learn the, 
talking about as far as breath work goes different daily practices and things you can do to really just find some clarity really fast and be able to calm your body down and um i guess have that like a very surface level interface with yourself whereas going into like a deeper longer breath work after like doing a, a bit of like preparation for it um going into that was where it was it definitely lifted the veil off mm-hmm. and then just i relived an experience where i fell three stories from a helicopter and on my backside um yeah damaged like four of my vertebrae my thoracic spine landed in this position like the seated position um off to hospital hit my head on the pack frame the, like the full deal and to go into this breathwork workshop in auckland and lie down there's about 30 40 people in the room um all just on yoga mats mm. i've got some some cool lights going and things but it was more just the atmosphere of like just be just breathe mm. that's all you have to do and you know you might hear people screaming crying laughing someone having an orgasm like <laughs> all of these different things could be let and rip and i'm like okay this is going to be you know interesting and getting into the first five ten minutes of breathing because it's like deep in and out through mm. the mouth and it, you know that that's only going to chemically change you and to get to this point where i felt like i was on the edge of something mm-hmm. and i'll you know I'll, re- I'll refer to the orgasm because it's something where like a lot of people are familiar with of course but there's that feeling of like you're on the edge mm. of something and it was it was an anxious feeling for me but it was also one of like i could feel all this like this wave like this energy kind of coming and i remember thinking i'm holding on to reality so tight <laughs> <laughs> and that was what it was good to click because i was like let go man like yeah. it's okay to let go you're not going to die you're not going to piss yourself you're not going to do get up and do anything stupid you know it's not it's 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 release it's a um and yet you consciously do it while at the same time like me you know holding my hands out above me because you're on your back and actually like opening my hands and letting go and it was like and i felt like i was actually falling mm-hmm. um kind of weightless like I, I i remember like feeling like the ground under me and thinking um okay I've, I've i've had this huge sensation of falling and now like my vision's gone quite euphoric not mm-hmm. hallucinating but i started to just recognize a whole lot of different patterns really especially with the light moving and to have this feeling like i've just had i've just had a huge fall and i've hit the ground again and then it's hard to explain but i definitely saw the helicopter that i fell from mm-hmm. a few years before like i'm lying underneath that and in my mind i'm like okay all right this is something to do with the healer repel accident but i but i completed that mm-hmm. i went back to it three years later and made the jump and landed it so why am i still haunted by this for some reason and as it played through like playing through that memory again and seeing the disappointed look of people and um realizing how much that like screwed my career around and um, the physical injuries on my body um it was one as it slowly started to click and i slowly started to um just realize i needed to forgive myself for that Mm -hmm. and just having quite a um you know a 30 40 minute period of like it was like a deep emotional very psychedelic experience Mm -hmm. and to be able to like be chuckling away laughing by the end of it like okay well oh sweet okay that's why i was so so worried about what people think about me i was so worried about um, messing things up 
and disappointing people and letting people down that it was it was a huge cause of anxiety for me mm. and to clear that blockage in a way by going through to go through that workshop and come out of it the, on the other side and be like wow that didn't take a drug didn't drink anything there was no kool-aid there was no it was just breath work it was just mm. breathing and having people you know who uh, um who facilitate that who just understand it and have been through the process as well so it was really cool just to how long ago was that uh this was 2019 yeah same as mine yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah um and it's funny how you say about like people that have gone through the process like um i think uh, i think Wim came to australia in like 2017 well it might have been the very start of 2018 and i was following keegan smith right from about uh when was it last year of uni so 2013 early days of instagram and <clears throat> with with his sort of real movement project he'd been trying to get a bunch of people together with these sort of uh more more increased movement patterns so he was sort of uh followed a lot of charles poliquin a lot of Ida portal um chris uh, chris summer the gymnastic strength guy and I, I don't know whether it was via Ida portal and london real or or just a crossover of of Wim coming to the fore and I think he was on Rogan in 2016 yeah. I think yeah that was back when I didn't realize that Rogan was actually a podcast I was I watched that episode on YouTube yeah and so I from that episode I used to do like one round of you know 25 breath I used to do it before I go to sleep uh, which Troll. is not, not advised <laughs> um and so yeah it was like in this world and then he came to Melbourne, and so Nigel Beach, who's based over <coughs> in in the Mount, he was at that workshop. This guy Mark Kluwer was at this, at, who I've had on. Um, Dino Gladstone, who's from Bondi Rescue, he okay. was at the workshop. Um, there's there's quite a few guys, especially in the early episodes of the Stagger Raw, that were at this word workshop. Um, there's another guy that's been on a couple of times, Aaron. He was he was at that workshop. Anyway, Mark at this workshop. I don't know how he ended up there. I think I think uh, the gym he just started at the gym in, in Melbourne called um, Fifth Element Wellness, and they must have been like mm. been doing it or something. And then oh, the guy's actually coming, and so Mark must have just had that sort of real entry level experience of like, oh, this breathwork stuff's pretty good. You know, big burly construction worker. I feel pretty good when we do breath work. Oh, and like he's Dutch, Mark's Dutch. He's like, oh, go see what this guy's all about. He's real like um, eccentric out there type of guy. Anyway, first session, Mark was that guy bawling his eyes out. <laughs> and Aaron, Aaron retells the story that he was lying beside him being like, fucking hell, man. Like he'd, he'd been to Peru and done ayahuasca and stuff and he was there for this breath work session. You know, I'm going to have the same experience with breath. And this guy's bloody crying. And... um i can't think of his name um he's he's used to be a ultra uh, 400 and 800 meter runner from the west coast and he ended up with leukemia hmm. so he's he's doing breath work in the west coast and comes over to Christchurch as well okay shit sorry it'll come to me anyway yeah. he he had a heart attack at this at this bloody um breath work on the Whoa. first night as well wow. so he never got to do the retreat oh, no. <laughs> um and yeah, so I had all, all this all this going on. So it was in my sphere, and meanwhile, I was sort of doing one round of breath work. 
I mean, Mark and Dean came up to the Gold Coast when I was living in Ballina, and they said, oh, I came along. And so the night before, I listened to Russell Brand speak to Wim, and they talked about, like, I think Russell Brand must have the chakras or something tattooed on him. Yeah. And Wim was talking about, like, oh, you can go pretty deep on this stuff. And he said about how how Wim had been a yoga his whole life and how he got into breath work and his Wim Hof method was... You know, my wife committed suicide and I was feeling pretty suicidal myself and I returned to the cold and then the breath and then everything started to feel all good and I was hallucinating and getting high on your own supply. And so he sort of did this one round in the podcast again like he did with Joe Rogan. But they they sort of knocked on the door of that spiritual feeling or that like, <coughs> um, I don't know, parallel universe type, type feeling. Yeah. And then get get up to the Gold Coast the next day and Mark retells the story of bawling his eyes out and Dean sort of introduces a bit more of the scientific side about how you're blowing off carbon dioxide and so you can hold your breath for a long period of time. And mm. exactly like you said, you know, you might laugh, you might cry, you might scream, you might yell, just, just let it go. And I think we did an introductory round and then we went and did five rounds and like by round three, I was getting there like, like the whole body just like, and then then it was like the the breath hold, and then it was like into round four, and I I was at that like I don't know if I can keep breathing like this anymore. I don't know if I can do this anymore, and then I just like like went through. <laughs> you know, you Rogan talk about DMD, like go through the portal. So it's like, and like silence, and um, I saw this shipwreck. And <clears throat> oh, yeah. and like, but everything was all good. And retrospectively, I thought about it that that's one of our sort of origin stories of coming to New Zealand is mm. is our family shipwrecking in New Zealand. Really? And I, it's it's a real amazing moment that I've like been able to ad hoc analyze that that it's kind of like you've you don't need to worry about that trauma or that holding back or that fear all that's done done now and you can move forward yeah. and create whatever you want like the foundation's been set like go forward and sort of be great and yeah i like woke up tears down my face and had, had all the sort of like pyramids and patterns and mm-hmm. um mark woke me up standing over me <laughs> and so they had sort of like jesus symbols and hindu symbols and stuff like this but oh, yeah. it was like super trippy yeah and like as you say it's just from your breath and from the environment and I've been able to do that once by myself. I did that at um, okay. Marae Totoro Falls in Hawke's Bay. So I just, I biked out there one day, set up above the waterfall and did four rounds. And then again, like woke up, like having gone into the portal. And then the other uh, two times I've done it is with Nigel. Once we we set up at the beach, like sort of uh, three or four of us. Oh, yeah. And he facilitated it. And then again, I went to one of his workshops, did a big, deep experience with him there. It's pretty buzzy eh? <laughs> yeah that's cool i haven't trained i haven't met nigel yet i'd love to though yeah there's um i just love it's a thing you can facilitate people for yeah the first time i'd done it was i didn't know what it was of course mm-hmm. coming out the other side i was like oh this is this is something else like yeah and it led to more experiences did you go and do it again yeah so i've done that in about March or April in 2019 
and then Nigel came to Hawke's Bay at the end of 2019 and I went and did, did a session with him and kind of, we did three rounds and I kind of got to the edge like you were talking about like the edge of something yeah. um, then I think yeah before Nigel came back the next year I'd had that experience at Manurai Totara and again with doing the three rounds with Nigel I kind of got to I got a little bit deeper than I had the year before but again it was like only just crept over the edge I kind of like what like came to again when we were done and I was like oh yeah that was pretty good um oh yeah no so I think before he'd come to Hawke's Bay is when I met him yeah, and and labor week labor weekend at, in the mountain when we had that real deep experience. So okay, yeah, like big big group, small group, mm. and then sort of getting to the edge a couple of times, and then doing it on my own. But I've only ever been able to do it once on my own, and it, it's funny how you said like the day to day breath work versus the big build up breath work is is yeah. kind of kind of different. Yeah, yeah. How how do you? How do you sort of picture the day-to-day like maintenance dose, really, eh? <laughs> Microdose. <laughs> yeah. I kind of treat it like that now, like thinking about breath work, like how I would, how I use it. Like there are times when I'll, especially before a workout, like sit mm-hmm. there and go through our routine. And other times it's mainly just catching, what, like being conscious of what how my body feels, especially if I'm doing something where I need to be paying attention, like driving a car, where... I notice if I start to get tired or I just notice I might feel a bit uncomfortable, it's of course like immediately recognize the posture and sitting up straight and just take going through even a, a decent like 10 really strong breaths mm. in and out through the nose. Mm. And that was that uh, I, I did learn that from going away to a couple of different breathwork um, practitioners and went to a four day retreat up in the Coromandel. Wicked. And that was completely different to what I'd experienced with the O2 Awakening, like just the other, um, it felt like the other end of the spectrum almost, mm-hmm. like having this huge energetic blowout and like really seeing the, um, fish after like two or three sessions of it and having that, you know, refining the intent to like what do I want to help, what do I want to do with this if I'm going inward into my body, yeah. into my mind, what do I want to do with it? Is that the one with the big crystal and the vegan food? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was like this that atmosphere and some some of these practitioners that have been in it for, you know, thirty something years and I realised I wasn't breathing in and out of my nose. I was mm. always like like constantly sniffing for like years and years and years and it's just been since I think learning how to chill. Mm. That's been like that was a huge part for me. I was like, Oh wow, I can chill way out too. Was lots of that crew coming like from Ayurvedic principle or like a yogic principle, do you know? It seemed to be quite rooted in Buddhism. Buddhism, really. Um, and there were certainly some, like, because all the different practitioners would get up and present or speak on a different thing or talk about um, some of the origins and things like that. And a lot of it was um, Sanskrit talking about that. And it wasn't right into it. It was enough for me to be like, okay, cool, I appreciate where it comes from and I can see how people have been doing this for thousands of years like thousands and thousands of years and some pretty superhuman things mm. and if it's if, if it's uh if you're able to go quite deep with it 
mm. to the point where you're able to figure out some things that are you know some curly questions that your brain's not going to you know you'll, you'll cook yourself <laughs> trying to just constantly logically solve everything and process everything like that and it was cool just to be able to chill right down to the point where that same thing come back of just let it go man mm -hmm. and um yeah really just have a I remember leaving there just feeling lighter eh? Mm. and it was nice to go into a, a place like that and i was it's the first time i'd gone to anything like that so I, I did feel like a little bit wasn't projected on me but i did feel like a bit of a an outsider almost like someone who's come from the soldiering world and can you know still sit there and drink piss and like i've been having no problem smoking a cigarette like it was that kind of thing of oh, I'm, here to, I'm just here to learn too and appreciate all this and um there's so much knowledge and so much love here mm. that you know that'll really help a lot of people mm. i think it's just uh um i think it's amazing and you know there's unit standards in it and there's a whole lot of training and a whole lot of um yeah different different applications for it. i think that's pretty cool so what's what's that falling under like um healthcare practitioner or adjunctive therapy or what um i believe it was like your alternative therapies or alternative medicine mm -hmm. perhaps I, I didn't uh, i didn't follow it right down um i still like to go and do some training and you know go so is that some process. some sort of like um so for example old uh what are they even called naturopathic college top top yeah. that sort of place yeah yeah, yeah. I think that was the realm it was in, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's good because it, like, just, just going through and learning more about it was, um, okay, how is this applied? Like how, how does this how does this work in with people who, you know, if, as far as exploring different therapies goes, how does this, you know, um, how, do you, how do you end up going to breath work? Do you, is it recommended to you by someone or is it, is it ever going to be part of a rehabilitation at a, at a larger level of, of some, in some way of, um, um, especially for I found for myself like for PTSD like mm. it was something where like it was an enabling thing an enabling tool of constructing a little bit a lot more discipline too of you're going to sit down you're going to practice this and you're going to you know potentially come against some um, some feelings and some emotions that you you might not like or that <laughs> you might have run away from for a long time but it's like good to actually go for it yeah. go through it and um, yeah every time I'd done a um, a breathwork session facilitated by someone uh, they were all different like every single time was different it's only been well it's maybe a handful of times that i've taken myself to that place by myself mm -hmm. um, but to sit down with a with someone who's facilitating and just being a ward in that way that there's someone else there and you're i feel i can just let go and mm. um, it's very rarely been dramatic screaming crying but there certainly has been that and it's been just a good like introspective moment to have Mm. On, on life and um, offered a bit of guidance as well I think just internally of um, you know what I want to pursue and what I want to do and um, you know being able to release emotions and process trauma and just trust and you know trust in the process of things and um, really allow my, my body to relax too mm. and go into a state where yeah it's just going to be healing itself and just get myself out of the way and let it do its thing and mm. have, you, have you had um sort of a compounding of people come to you curious about it for sure yeah yeah well what was some of the first sort of queries like you would have been on a learning journey yourself at, at the yeah. time like when did you start 
promoting the fact that you were getting some benefit out of it? When pretty much as soon as I walked out of the building, uh, <laughs> yeah, out no, of the workshop, and that was first like, one in Auckland. Yeah, on, yeah, it was on uh, on K Road and at a studio up there. Um, but ever since every time I'd walk out the door of any kind of um, like a either a workshop or a one-on-one session with someone, I, I didn't feel compelled to like, yes, I need to shout this from the rooftops. But um, especially just talking about it and describing it, I had a lot of friends who were just getting more and more curious about it. Like, what? Mm. What are you talking about? Mm. And to that point of, um, yeah, taking a few of my friends through it at different times, who just started approaching me about it and just asking, like, oh, would you would you take me through that? And I'm like, so yeah. what did that look like? Um, so one of them was my, so one of my best mates um, down home in Fairley, and um, we talked about it quite a bit, and he'd introduced me to Wim Hof. Okay, yeah. He'd, he'd show me that uh, the Vice Doco. Right, I haven't watched that, but cool. Yeah. Parts in that where it was like, that really changed, challenged my perception of everything, of like, what, this dude can swim around in, in the Arctic Circle yeah, and hold his breath under there for like nine minutes, like what, this 50-year-old dude? from um Holland. from the netherlands yeah. i'm like what so that when i told him about this breath work workshop i'd just come out of um he just wanted to know more and um it was where you know he just trusted me to do it and to be the, the person to guide him through it and or just and as far as like um facilitating goes I'm, there's no touching there's no i'm not mm-hmm. talking there's it's it's really just it really is hypnotism as far as like guiding you into into the rhythm for your for your breath and for your body and to just um you know be there and be present and to as as far as like coming back as well because i really feel like it is a trip of when you lie down and close your eyes and you're breathing like that and that rhythm for um, however much time it takes for you know to go over into that state um I'm going to be here at the other end and you want to talk about anything or if you're crying or you, you want some to talk about something or not, but that's, that's the, um, that's the way I'd look at it. Like just there to guide it and make, you know, keep the, keep the rhythm going and the, um, but yeah, it, it's the kind of thing just, it's, I started to take groups mm-hmm. of like down at one of the gyms in, uh, in Timaru performance training. Um, yeah, Tim down there asked if I could, you know, asked if I would have my, my, my breathwork sessions there and like it really helped me out with that side of it too and a few people coming in that were starting to hear a bit more about it like oh, what's this breathwork thing and um yeah a couple of referrals and people from um, just around the area mm-hmm. and we'd meet up and we'd just go through a few different breath practices and do a few things like just seeing how long you can hold your breath for mm-hmm. and going through um you know two three four rounds and that's where I really noticed that there was everyone gets something different out of it mm. um, and uh, yeah it was nice that's where I really, I really started to get into it and think like this is a tool that's really help, helping people to help themselves in that way like once I teach it to you you learn it you can go do it anywhere eh? mm-hmm. um, yeah so that's how, that's how really I got started with it yeah well I remember that it's Joshy Komen far out sorry Josh <laughs> yeah he's is he's, he's a good good uh good fo- follow old Joshy okay, um, cool he's got an amazing story like I said he went, went to that Wim Hof workshop and ended up having a heart attack so he didn't even get to participate wow yeah um he's got a got a book out there um it's, it's a 
<laughs> obviously has a run, running background to the title, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear what he, th- you know, uh, what are the odds of that happening? You know, yeah, like of having a heart attack at this before a breath work, yeah, or before a session like that, yeah, yeah. I just always, we have, um, I think it was because he had graft, graft versed host disease, so I think his graft attack started attacking his his immune system so the graft or the the um white blood cells that he had donated i think reacted to his body wow yeah so it's, he's been through a pretty gnarly journey like leukemia then this and like i'm pretty sure he's the same age as you and i but he's like got like flaked flaked skin like an elderly gentleman gray okay. hair and things like that wow. yeah yeah but oh, yeah. I think he's back back running, doing a little bit of running now, eh? Which is really really exciting for, and it's got to be wee family. I think I just saw a post today. He's off. Um, I think his partners um, from Switzerland. So I think they're off off to Europe with their daughter and things like that. It's pretty cool. Wow, awesome! Yeah, like again, one of those stories. Just like, oh, the world is so weird. How it works. Yeah, and like like say, he's gone through this all these things, and then he's at the place to get taught by Wim and then kind of misses out on it. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's met Wim since, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Now, um, you're saying how like people get so much diversity out of it. Is Do you find any common theme of people coming to it? Is it usually just curiosity? Uh, I'd love to I ask think... Nigel the same thing. <laughs> like, what did what do everybody would like does he do any introductory questionnaire or anything like that <laughs> yeah i wondered that like i think it really is some curiosity when you start to hear about um like some of the you hear about going on a trip mm. to someone who's never had taken a psychedelic like i had and that's the first psychedelic experience i'd ever had mm. was from that breath work and to um, i think just to when I started describing it and talking about it, um, that's when people would be like, you, know, the, you hear the ears pick up like, what? What are you talking about? You had a trip and you were just breathing. And it's like, the more I started to, um, I started reading the Dr. Joe Dispenza's mm-hmm. books mm-hmm. and just as far as how it actually works, how that whole process is occurring throughout your body as you're going into and how um, you're talking about the pineal gland and talking about this uh, DMT being produced um, you're being metabolized like in your in your body to have these um, transcendental transcendental moments mm. of you know life changing moments I think and uh, just in the conversations I think I've had with people over the years um, I think everyone's just you know, would have the it, there's a moment coming in on their timeline where things change mm-hmm. and perhaps. Um, this breathwork session will do it and it could be you know for all all sorts of reasons um but that's certainly what got my curiosity and why i kept going back to it because it was every experience was big but like a uh yeah certainly a peak experience but it was really just i think just uh just seeing more and in a bit more detail and taking that information and more and processing emotions easier and faster and um just enjoying my life a little bit more mm-hmm. i think every time i had these experiences like uh the, the third time i went in to see lucas and helle 
uh, at these at the, when the O2 awakening. Um, I was sort of preparing for it beforehand. Uh, I had my notebook out, writing a few things down, and Lucas came over and said, um, "Is there anything that you want to experience this time?" <laughs> and I said, "Well, I've actually been thinking about that." And he said, um, "Well, once we get into it, and you, you know, you drop in, I'll come over to you, and then I'm going to push my hand into your solar plexus, mm-hmm. like quite firm, and that's just going to provide a whole lot of stimulation. You know, words that affect, of course, of." Um, you activate my solar plexus and really go like w- well, well deep. Um, and I thought, okay, cool. And I'd been thinking about uh, a bit of family genealogy hmm. of not really knowing much about it because it was quite murky. And you know, dad was uh, my dad was the first um, in my uncle, like the first in our um, kind of bloodlines to. Of, of, of our uh, like grandfather to actually stick around because mm-hmm. he took off when dad was born and that was one of those things I just carried with for a long time and dad did of course um, but I remember getting to a point I just want to know more about it he was a soldier as well my granddad um, never met him mm. dad only met him once um, that's when I was in Afghan so dad went on this big mission down and found him and the whole deal um, so I just wanted to know about that and I just heard my great granddad like before he died at uh, Saluna in World War Two. But he held up a race course at gunpoint before the war started and then he was on the run and he signed up in the british army under his mother's maiden name and went to italy and fighting in the british army and was killed at salerno and i find all this stuff out and i'm just like what's what is what's with that you know, i didn't know what to do with that mm-hmm. um, not that i thought of them as like scumbags or anything but it was that kind of like what's up with that mm-hmm. is that in the family i'm in the military as well like i think just having this whole um yeah, just wanting to know about it so we got into the breathwork session and i remember like five five minutes in of like five i'm puffing and before we started i remember where i'd set up my yoga mat because they're already placed out the one i picked was um, i didn't realize until well i lay down it was right below a skylight mm-hmm. like an opaque so like quite bright and i lay down underneath them and it was bright and i was like should i move and i was like nah you sat in the spot for a reason going through the breath work it's like the huff and puff and i got this feeling back i hadn't had in a few years which I'd, i remember from the army of like going up hills with packs on with a machine gun with like um you know probably you know 40 kilo pack 20 kilos of ammo like and you don't you can't stop and have a break like you just if you're moving in a formation with a whole lot of his and it was that feeling of i have to keep going but i'm just so i've got no energy mm-hmm. left and they're like, why do I do that to myself? Like, mm-hmm. It just started like coming on and on. And then, yeah, that light was quite blinding enough that it actually started to take the figure. That's when I knew. That's when I knew I'd, I was going over the edge, mm-hmm. like actually dropping into the trip. Um, because that light became my grandfather. Wow! He took his figure in his face, like in front of me. Uh, and it just that was when Lucas turned up, mm-hmm. and just both like hard deep like straight down into my solar plexus and that was like oh like it hurt um and then he kind of like just moved back and i wasn't you know i wasn't paying attention to him um i was just it flashed like i was my granddad yeah wow my great granddad and um i was like choking someone to death like screaming at them someone trying to kill me and then uh 
someone runs up and with a bayonet on the end of a, a long tom like an infield rifle just out of like the fog and went like bam straight into my chest and sunk that all the way and then i remember holding the end of this rifle barrel like looking at someone on the other end of it screaming and of course i'm in this workshop <laughs> with 30 something people and there's other people going off there's someone pissing themselves laughing right next to me that just you're not concerned with anyone else that was what was quite cool was like they're almost like cues yeah um but this experience anyway it it came to the point where I just realized that they were both killers and they were both, uh, they're British, so they're from, um, UK. Yeah. Um, and they had went through a lot, of, a lot, like a lot of fighting wars. Mm. My granddad was, a uh, like a mercenary in the mm. Congo in the, in the sixties. Yeah. Like parachuting into the jungle and like fighting off these, um, some of the really crazy tribal stuff that's gone on in the Congo um, Malaya like running around the bush Korea and like as an intelligence off, um, operative and just hearing all this and he wrote books about it and my uncle knew quite a lot about it too um, it was the kind of thing I just it, it just in this breathwork moment it occurred to me like oh they didn't know how to stop Mm -hmm. how to like let this stuff go and whereas i do i have the chance to and it was mm. good to actually be able to like actually say to them out loud like i love you and i you know i don't hate you i would you know i'm um I'm, if i'm the one that's going to figure it out then that's mm. that's cool that made me feel and that's why i felt so good at the end of it yeah because going through that experience and thinking oh yeah, everyone goes through some crazy shit man and yeah they didn't know how to be fathers for for a lot of their sons and you know my dad broke that mm -hmm. dad's because dad my dad's um yeah still still awesome dad and um yeah it was cool just to have that moment and walk out of there at the end of it like, okay i get it now just a little bit more about myself and about them and it's uh you know it's not there's no reason to be angry at them for anything they just didn't know how mm -hmm. i'm the one who gets to be able to do it so yeah that's a i've had the exact same realization that like i I get to I, I've got the opportunity everything that's gone before me has allowed me to yeah yeah and like um, that is sort of the the flip side to the whole concept of generational trauma is like you're actually in a position to address it and yeah, so that yeah. and the, so the, there's that concept of like um, orbit like um, blame excuse deny you know you can you can try justify your actions and say it was well that's how i was brought up or, or whatever but you can mm. was own accountability and res responsibility you know oh well i've now got this opportunity um i'm aware i have the knowledge i can d do things to yeah. towards greatness rather than continue the same patterns yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so so like in the case like you're involved with the mckenzie country rsa like mm. does does this topic come up like what do you do in your weekends ryan or what do you do during, during, <laughs> when you finish work yeah i could jump in the yeah. freezing cold r r river or the lake <laughs> yeah yeah i mean how's that go down like hey <laughs> definitely oh yeah especially i talk about like yeah i'm gonna get in and take people out and like take them like what why would you do that yeah it's pretty get mate. sick doing that like, <laughs> yeah. well, no you won't but um that's been it's been good because 
just one of those things I just totally own it and it's also um, just the amount of like reactions I've had from people saying what so how do you do that and just just briefly talking through the process of going through going through a breathwork routine and preparing your body and getting into the water and you know it's a conscious effort and it's something where you you're priming and you're preparing your body for that and that whole process turns out to be really 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 good for you mm. and so that exposure to the cold like all the physical effects it has but for me i got into it and why i like um talking about it especially with um with other veterans and i've spoken a few times as the rsa president and it's been good to talk about it and say hey here's my therapy that i do for myself and i love it and it's fun and it's good for me and i've lost 20 kilos since i started it and it's been every time i do it i feel amazing when i get out um since i mentioned burning off like brown fat you go oh oh okay i might have to get into that mm-hmm. um but the mental process of just doing something hard because mm. every time i do it i'm just like yeah i feel it so much but i, I like to go on and do it because it's something challenging and i always feel like a badass when i get out even if i've had a you know a shit day or um especially when i'm in pain from um to some of the injuries and um yeah it's just a just like a recharge for the body eh? Mm. holistically how do you think that's facilitated 20 kgs like i love what joko says about like discipline equals freedom like once you've created everything um what's his name general mccramer or whatever is the whole make your bed philosophy mcraven yeah mcraven yeah that's it like if you get up and make your bed or you've already done the one hard thing and you've already had one one success so keep keep compounding those successes there they become easier and easier is that that sort of like do that one hard thing i think i I like to think like that eh? yeah it's a it's pretty easy to have those days where you just achieve nothing Mm. you might go to work and and just not get anything out of it um it's just having, being able to tick off a few things a day like yeah make the bed even that that you know the fold the washing mm. done another one have a shower okay done another one like that whole yeah, process especially when just, you've like had the shower with the gold shower <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah you doubled up yeah, I, wa- double I washed up. myself and I went in the cold you, you've got to be efficient yeah <laughs> that's good yeah just achieving more things in a day and I think after, especially after just having a bad run of you know feeling bad about not achieving anything or getting the thing done that you wanted like you can still create a bit more of that change your whole environment and that's where i started to think well what other stuff should i put on that list yeah things that might take more than a day perhaps but um that was quite a a point for me of like coming to that uh, that stage especially like what what do i want to do next Mm -hmm. yeah is it fitbit uh it's it's got a mid guard i think yeah it's 80 bucks 80 bucks nice yeah but i like it. it's got an app and you can go through and um this does pulse yeah it has a pulse oximeter and yeah it does blood pressure and mm-hmm. yeah for a while it was good for a while just think just seeing what i'm usually at like i walked up uh white eddy uh, to white eddy falls mm-hmm. um yesterday it's good to actually get huffing and puffing and just see the difference in beats per minute, really. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, it's yeah. a good bit of kit. Didn't yeah. have a watch. I was like, all right, I'll run that. 80 bucks. Yeah. So where, where did the idea start for your property? Uh, when I 
so how I'd found it was just in, the, in one of the local newspapers in Fairley. <laughs> it's working on a farm, yeah, light in the fireplace. Saw the bro- the property I'd got out of the army and I had like 90000 from my superannuation just in my account, just swiping that away. And I thought, oh, no, I need to invest it in something. So they gave you a, they gave you a lump a lump sum. Oh, it was a um, superannuation, but you were it was available to you to purchase a home or something. So yeah, separate from KiwiSaver. Yeah, so I was the last intake into the army that had superannuation. The mm-hmm. one after it was all KiwiSaver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that uh, that superannuation, I think it, it was about ten thousand going in a year. It would take from every pay. Mm-hmm. And what you what you put in defence, or the government matched it. Mm. Don't remember exactly the deal, um, but leaving with and you could access. I could access it the whole time I was in the army. It was just one of those, okay, that's my savings, mm. and it was quite painful to get hold of it and get it out. So it was good to actually leave and have that. <laughs> but I, yeah, it was it wouldn't have lasted. Um, but I thought, yeah, I wanted to get a property, and one came up. Mm-hmm. I was just going through the, the newspaper before I was chucking it in the fire, and found the property in fairly. Um, didn't know anything about property or um, finding a lawyer and, and any of that stuff and we think I just want somewhere to go I want somewhere to um, just set up and live and I thought forest block okay mm. cool yeah, I'll, I'll get into that and um, yeah wanted to build a, a little container house on it and wasn't sure what I was going to really do from there I didn't have the, few, the full site through then so when I, did, when I came to the point of um think knowing what I really wanted to do with it it was one like looking at all the trees there's not many um, not as many as there were prior to the last owner they've cut down about two three hundred of them so it's quite a huge um, like quite a large um, open paddock that's that I've only just been able to clear out through now especially after pulling all the stumps and things out so like it was slash and stump and stuff and mm. right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. just fit, cut and fell down like um, two three hundred trees 250 mm-hmm. trees maybe just left on the spot so I got the property as it was, like this huge mess, and I was like, what am I going to do with all this? The, the forest was all unpruned. Um, so as I started to prune through it and get into the middle, make some tracks going through, I wanted to just be able to roll my dirt bike around in there. <laughs> I was like, what would I, what if I just cleared a huge area out and put a hut in here? Mm-hmm. Found, a, found a couple of um, really good position trees to build a tree hut with, and that's, the, um, that's my own hut now. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I just thought it was just so nice being out there under the forest. I thought, why not? Why not build this out into a um, a bit of a retreat where um, people can come out and stay, either in the hut or set up tents. But um, really good for being able to run like outdoor courses and mm. um, training and things like that. So it's been good to be able to facilitate that too, and have um, um, especially some mates with training businesses and getting into just taking groups in the outdoors for outdoor skills or. Um, just a, you know, having you know five or six friends like families come out and just set up tents and the kids and then have a have a bonfire mm. kitchen cooking area in the middle yeah that's thought, cool that's cool why not yeah why not and so how did you gain an affinity to the area growing up in upper heart like yeah. why why there yeah <laughs> i'd uh when i left the army out of burnham i moved down to timaru with mm-hmm. the partner i was with at the time and that's where I was working for high country contracting which yep. I was there for a year doing that and it was at the um yeah working for high country contracting that i found well because we were living in timaru just south of timaru and 
the yard being in Pleasant Point would drive all the way out to the McKenzie pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. So stopping in Fairley to get a pie, mm-hmm. it's like sweet, grab you know, there's breakfast and lunch and a coffee or the bakehouse. When I saw that, uh, the uh, the real estate in the paper, I was like, oh, Fairley, that's the place with the pies. <laughs> and like everyone was like nice and that. So yeah, um, yeah, that's why I really got out. That's how really I got out there. And it's the probably probably about 10 minutes from Fairley so it's like it's ideal it's rural enough eh? it's, mm-hmm. it's right out there um, yeah just a nice nice town and Timaru's a cool place too so that's about an hour away yeah yeah and do your family come visit or yeah yeah yep mum and dad have come down a couple of times a year um, <laughs> dad was a builder for he's been a builder for about 15 years now um, but he helped me get started at home and just do things like put the um, uh, the roof um, pre- uh, platform on in the veranda and um, like frame out the, the extension to it and um, it's really just been the, the source of, of knowledge from there, eh? the font of knowledge so um, yeah they'll come down and um, you've got plenty of friends that'll come out from well, just just from wherever really to yeah. Yeah, set up and stay a few nights yeah and so you, when we're having dinner you're sort of saying about how there's someone with milling machines and stuff like how it sort of it must be quite fun to learn these skills and grow these skills and you know become more and more self-sufficient and, and that sort of stuff as as you go like yeah as, as a learning exercise and a living exercise in your space what's that like i'm used to roughing it mm-hmm. like used to staying out in the bush and in a sleeping bag and it was after probably a year of like walking around in there with a headlamp i was like well maybe i should put some lights up in here and, <laughs> you know like i don't know anything about solar power so well instead of watching bullshit on youtube why don't you look up videos on how 12 volt wiring work, you know how 12 volt circuits work and how to um how to build you how to catch rainwater how to do all these kind of things so i just started to really just educate myself i think on it and come up with a system what sort of resources did you did you use survivalists or did you use like building actual building resource sort of stuff for the construction of it no like when you're learning yeah were you learning from survivalists or like uh, industry standard type well, both <laughs> roof, really. roof pitch and, and the right tanks and yeah <laughs> definitely a bit of both eh? and, and looking at the setup i had um like the just the uh, the um the actual like the bedroom part being in the container in the office and we were um most of most of the storage part of it is in the container just of how I was going to actually put it together and wire it up um, just doing everything with 12 volt mm-hmm. seemed like the safest way and so just as efficient mm-hmm. running LED strips and USB ports and um, yeah just just keeping it as simple as possible really and a lot of the materials um, another good mate of mine has helped put he's put a lot of time into um, helping me acquire things and put it together and teach me how to do it especially the wiring stuff um, yeah just to build something simple that's going to last and um for a while just running it off car batteries i was about to say how do you store energy <laughs> two of those uh, steep cycles the ones that you put in like a, an rv yeah or a boat like um 700 amp hour and yeah that with two 250 watt panels that's the current setup and that's been like ample just to run um you know charge everything and run lights and yeah keep it simple and how's the water gone? Water's uh, rainwater. 
yeah. at the moment that's catching into an IBC, um, which will yeah feed out to a couple other tanks, and they're all things I'd picked up for like two, three hundred. What's an IBC? Sorry? Those thousand liter pods. Okay, I've got the pallet base on them in that cage. It's usually right. white. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah. one thousand liter pods. You should pick them up for like hundred and fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. But just doing it like that too, like I really like. Um, Especially getting on marketplace and finding, you know, finding all the bits and pieces you need. Is it how they clicked? Just off the roof. Yeah. Yeah. And so that'll run off the roof through a couple like um, sediment filters. Yeah. Just to get the, you know, the roof. Um, so, if, so if you put stuff. some sort of pitch roof on top of the crate. Mm. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So there's on top of the container, container you know, yeah. a, a roof pitching backwards, kind of on the on the front side, on the long side of veranda mm-hmm. coming out from that. Yeah. I think it's like seven meters long. Right. Yeah, yeah. Catching off both roofs into the tank. Like if it's a decent pour, it'll fill up in like a couple of hours. Like mm-hmm. It's crazy how fast that will fill a thousand liter. Yeah. yeah. And then did you say it, it goes off into other storage tanks as well? Yeah, so you can go after other store, maybe two other tanks at the moment. I'm, I'm in the state in the process of hooking up a, um, hooking it all up to a thirty thousand, which is going to have a, a well put in. You wow. put in a well next to it, a gallery well so they actually put the big bucket and they come in and scrape out like a five six meter trench fill it with different types of stones like layer it up have some um have a, a draw like your um for your suction taking it you know to take it up into the bigger tank and that's just drawing out of the ground like a ground well so, and so that's the ground flow not not a spring or anything like that yeah that's just the water table wow through. yeah it's um this one I saw some cool videos on as well. I think we had just where to cite the things. Have you had dowsing sticks? <laughs> and they go around with the thing. Oh, I have like, heard about this, yeah. 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 Um, the, I did not like 100% go dowsing sticks. Yeah, they are the, the guy. <laughs> one of the, actually, is their family friend. I was on the Next Generation Deer Farming Tour in like 2017, I think it was. And he was talking about, they were talking about finding water for springs and, and troughs and stuff like that. And then they said, "Do you know what the best diviner is?" And uh, like, it's, it's it's bloody deer. They're like, "If you want to find water, deer will find water." Mm, true. <laughs> and they'll make a mess if they find if they find a spring or a well, they'll make a mess. <laughs> oh, like dig it out. Dig it out. Yeah. Oh, is that like a stag's wallow? Yeah, basically, yeah, like okay, same yeah. idea. But yeah, in deer paddocks, it's the same thing. True. They'll find water. Yeah. I'd imagine a lot of animals are good like that. You know, yeah. you, you see, you see, see plenty of cows and sheep eating dirt, and all of a sudden they've made a big water patch. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, they can only they have to wait eh, to survive, eh? Like they'll yeah. be able to get find it or get back to the last source of it. Yeah. yeah. And have you th- thought about putting in animals? Yeah, I've got four sheep. You got four um, sheep. Yep. I had six, but uh, I think just, and that was that was part of the like the animal ownership. Mm-hmm. of it like um the first sheep um to dot to go was one that would just went off to the freezer so mm-hmm. we, we process that at home and we'll yeah kill it gut it and um bone it out and um we'll put it down and down with my neighbor and um in the, in the big freezer there but then another one passed away just over the midpoint of winter just not just the cold eh? not well yeah not well yeah wasn't keeping up i think it was a merino um they're all given to me and um, yeah, that was a bit sad, but mm. it was also one just to, you know, cut its throat and let it be, um, you know, at peace kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
we've just had a lamb born this year which is nice. really cool just after a big snow at home to <laughs> see one of the ewes is gone <laughs> like oh one of them's missing ram and uh three ewes one of them got taken off and yeah went out and found it and it just popped out of like still covered in like the yellow slimy stuff little yeah. lamb yeah yeah just cracking on nice and healthy now but and so the, with the, when they did lambing did they go find a nice sheltered spot in the yeah. in the trees or did they go the coldest wettest shitty spot <laughs> yeah this one was in the um down the in the, the back of the forest down by the back fence line i think just to be away from um or be away from me and the dog really yeah. at the other end of the property and just to keep her sheltered there she wasn't <coughs> didn't socialize with the other sheep for a couple of days until yeah see them all hanging out as one big crew like cruising mm. around like, oh, yeah, that's good well, what, what did you what was your process for slaughter for some reason i've been thinking about keeping sheep and slaughtering sheep the other day i was like oh it'd be quite good to get a get a race so you can narrow them down for the uh for the slaughter is that what you guys did um pretty what, much what did you have to chase them <laughs> pretty much cornered it <clears throat> i did it with a friend of mine who's um been doing it for a long time um corner it grab it to the ground um just have them pinned and so they don't see the blade of yeah. course I know that's a um halal thing but it's just to you know keep the thing um i think just the process of killing an animal like that yeah but yeah cutting the throat and um yeah hanging it skinning it taking the taking the gut bag out and yeah really just did did you use any offal i just buried it yeah 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 have a bit of a hole there and just um didn't chow down on a heart or a kidney or or a liver no, no, not for me. No, oh, not, not the liver king it, yet. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> no. It's more just like I want the lamb. Yeah, yeah. And what, how did how did you butcher it? Um, just broke it down into um, your roasts, like your shoulders, and I think we took the ribs took the ribs out in sections. Used mm-hmm. as much of it as took as much of it off the off the you know the um, main like spine yeah. as possible. Really, yeah certainly no guru but just taking it down to smaller pieces and whatever was um left over whatever could take off that that'd be pet food mm. yeah what's the dog you got uh she's a beardy cross hunt away <laughs> yeah she's always mistaken for a boy she's enormous she's just yeah yeah and, Cheap dog. and what does she usually eat? what does she what usually eat uh anything in sight anything within range but she will eat uh, at the moment this um my friend a good friend of mine gave her to me so she's uh she's on the tux biscuits now once she finishes those off she'll be on the the black hawk stuff yeah yeah that is what's black hawk like an organic like uh it's got real meat in it yeah yeah as opposed to you know it's not filled with um what do you call it they imported it from overseas palm yeah. oil right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. I haven't personally eaten it myself, mm-hmm. but it is. No. Um, no. <laughs> no, I could. thought it might as well. They just get the, it's crazy the amount of things that don't have, um, that aren't organic or just filled with crap, really. Yeah. But yeah. you shouldn't be feeding humans that. Yeah. It's just a, yeah, I think just to get her on a, um, just on just like one meal a day. Yeah. Yeah. But she's a, she's a sheep dog. She's got plenty of energy. Yeah. 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 Oh, like. As you said, it's it's not full of crap. So if you had to, you, you could eat it. We were we were talking about how preparedness and Ooh. and um, you know, 
brought up the whole like pantry thing and grow, growing up we I always had a f- full pantry and <clears throat> I've definitely fallen into the the supermarket habit um, you know I'm by no means any good hunter uh, I do a lot of walking mm-hmm. and and that, that's sort of the reality that most people don't understand about going hunting it's mostly going walking especially in my case <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and so it's not that simple um, how, how do you like you said you bring up that type of conversation with people and people often look at you sideways that, how long does it sort of take people to get that level of awareness and do you think it that creates a little bit of vulnerability in everyone and that's where the conversation gets shut down for preparing for like for things like yeah being yeah. being able to be self-sufficient you know, and, and what that really takes and what that really means how often do you talk about it oh i think it it when you put it into that context of like what what will really happen if you know if we have a, a massive earthquake like the alpine fault line goes or you know something even you know something's catastrophic enough to mean that you don't have not you can't just go to the supermarket you can't go anywhere in fact mm. um so how are you going to survive and you think about how many days it would take mm. um for there to be you know some mass some civil disorder and <laughs> you know that it's 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 always completely possible and i think putting in that context of like you're not just looking after yourself you're looking after your friends and your family and your flatmates and people in your neighborhood um mm. we found that with the christchurch earthquakes in 2011 uh the big one that killed like 270 people um yeah well, i was posted to christchurch so we were there for that we we're out on the streets for the first probably six months mm. out on cordons doing um yeah checkpoints we're also doing things like just securing the inner city um like around a perimeter there where there were um you know people going around breaking into houses mm. it's pretty tragic to have uh you know see fa- families going into the house for the first time and then they're coming out and they've got you know the house has been ripped off um, and seeing just all the roads being destroyed all the silk all the liquefaction all of that um prices for food going up mm-hmm. um i remember seeing people fighting over bread and milk in the supermarket in rolleston and thinking like wow like there are people that are just so wildly unprepared for this and to think that you know that could happen again at any time and at the cost of next time you're doing your groceries just grab a little bit more food mm. not to you know and work it out so you've got a you know a few different meal meal plans and, and options there and you've got it like a good base for your nutrition so you've got all sorts of different things there and rotating through your shelf and pantry and yet not nothing super complicated but i think um yeah just means that you're always you're always going to be able to eat and it's a I think it's just a it's just a good practice you're not you're being less wasteful and um especially worried about the you know what kind of how much rubbish you're producing how much carbon you're producing if you're really worried about that kind of stuff like i think it's just a good way to make it all a little bit more economical mm. yeah well what was um the imperative of of your mission around christchurch was it to just be a presence so that people like when you say checkpoint like mm. what were the conversations like like where are you going or well, it was uh, was it state of emergency? Okay, yeah. at the time that Christchurch was put under state of emergency, so there were Australian police that came over as well, mm-hmm. um, like poli- civilian police or military. Oh, civilian police. Yeah, yeah. So military didn't have any. Uh, we said powers of arrest of um, 
you know, and that's under pretty strict like control of when when and when as a uniform soldier are you allowed to arrest someone? But that's the same as anyone with the police, I believe. Mm. You can be deputised in that way. Like there's a um, in that national emergency, there is like around um, the red zone in the inner city of mm-hmm. Christchurch. So pretty much all the avenue, the four avenues in, because um, there was that uh, Colthorn Hotel that was just on the piss. Mm. Like you could like quite visibly, quite noticeably, on um, leaning to one side. So um, yeah, I'd never had to arrest anyone, but there were a few cases of uh at the checkpoints at roads which were just the access in and out of the red zone so you'd have um, of course like police fire you know people passes that would go in and out of the red zone whereas you'd get people i remember seeing once um a guy come strolling up to the checkpoint just wearing a high vis hmm. and a, ha- a belt with a hammer on there's like, oh i'm going in the red zone oh have you got a contractor id so, oh no i don't have it <laughs> like who do you work for? He's like, oh, Fulton Hogan. And he was completely like, like just completely taking the piss. The way we kept saying, no, you can't come in. He's like, but I work for them. He's like, you know, you've, got, you've got no ID, mate. You're just wearing a, a high-vis jacket and you're walking around with a hammer and you'd just go around from checkpoint to checkpoint. Mm. Like we had probably 20-something checkpoints, maybe 30 checkpoints at one point that were constantly manned with like two soldiers on there. Mm. So you definitely see that, people trying to sneak in and also people that just like lived in the red zone. And some of the houses in there mm. yeah so how does that compare to like timor like they, they've they had low economy and that sort of stuff they were, were they were they desperate or subsi- yeah were they subsistent or there was most people were just getting on with their life and there's people that were you know behaving badly if you want to put it mm. that way well, what was the sort of situation in timor so timor I was in basic training in 2006 when mm. um, the second, of, the gyro, it's called Operation Gyro, Operation Koru, started in East Timor, and that was from the two political parties, mm-hmm. CNRT and Fretilin. One was backed, or you know, there was a there was a huge political divide, divide to the point where the police, the whole police, were on one side and the army was on the other side. <laughs> yeah. And so that resulted in uh, the army, or this guy Major Renato, uh, taking a troop of his men. It was I don't know, I don't remember the exact numbers, but taking a troop of his men and being like, "All right, we've we've had enough of this. We're we're going to just do our own thing now." And went and shot at the police station, killed most of the cops, and they just bounced into the into the jungle. Um, and so you've got why did why did they leave again? What's that? Why did they go and leave? The soldiers. Yeah. Uh, instead of like taking control well i think they would know that they're never going to be able to fight you know like actually take over the country with 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 this troop right i'm just assuming here like there's not really not much to take control of Mm -hmm. in that way and they are you know that this is the army so the the timorese army under this major renato i think he fancied himself a bit of a revolutionary and took his men off out into the jungle and i know that they would have i'm sure they would have been out there planning missions and planning to or the, which they did they tried to take out the timorese prime minister uh like maybe three months after we got home seeing it on the news like what we we're just there and we didn't see you know um but yeah. so that was un run like it's uh, like 
Yeah, the UN were there. It's not non-democratic, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's... It was two... The two political parties pretty much had their own street gangs who they're just... Yeah, paying off. Yeah. Paying off. And they're, they're out there burning down, like, entire neighbourhoods. Jesus. Oh, that's the CNRT neighbourhood. We'll just go burn that whole thing to the ground and, you know... It's Ross Kemp did an episode. Okay, cool. We've seen that, and that's uh, our our East Timor rotation's actually on that. Right. And there's a scene in there with um, you know, he's racing in to check out this right that was going down, and just like a whole screen of tear gas, this huge cloud just comes wafting up the street, and all these cops, Malaysian cops, are running away from it because they didn't have gas masks. Mm. Ross Ross Kemp eats the tear gas as well, but that was the kind of stuff that was like. Um, and do, do both fractions have unrest? in the country like no one's satisfied don't think uh well it was pretty sad because this was just in dilly this was just in the capital yeah. so everyone who was affected by that whether the block was burned down or um, the violence or just people just wanting to escape that stuff with their families um they're all in display so they were all in camps called right. ID, idp camps and we, they weren't controlled by anyone or by us they were uh kind of just little villages that appeared on the side of the highway wow of um yeah, people building homes out of you know, roofing iron and bamboo and because their home was destroyed so I spent a lot of time going out and patrolling just through the camps and checking things out um, so that yeah you know just on the lookout for that really it, it was really did they get aid yep yeah. well the UN works that out I believe or they have the NGOs that go in there and um, yeah, we'll work with the communities to distribute the food. We didn't do any of that. We we're more providing the security still at that point mm-hmm. in two thousand seven. Yeah. So it was um yeah. We did it we did quite a bit of patrolling all around the city. So we had one half of Delhi and the Australians had the other the other half of it. And the Australian half was like considerably more violent, like like aggressive. Mm. you go down as soon as you cross the line into the Australian AO it was just a completely different vibe and they you know talking to Aussie soldiers so we did this exchange program going on where um, you could if you wanted to go and drop into an Australian section mm-hmm. and an Australian would come and drop into your team like a <laughs> like go hang out with the Kiwis for two weeks and go to all their patrols so I never and I never got to go on it but we had a few Aussie guys come uh, rotate into our section they were like, yeah, man, we're getting like dart shot at us every night. Guys with slingshots, machetes, like they're into it. They're into it quite all the time. And we're cruising around, and it's oh, Kira Kiwi, like completely different vibe, eh? Mm. Yeah. And do you think that's just we were? That was the luck of the draw. Or? It was definitely how we interacted with yeah. the locals as well. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, just a lot more. You know, we're not going in there, smash and grab. And of course, I'll never bash on Aussies. Aussie Army guys in a different different situation, mm. um, but yeah, the way we handled problems was 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 definitely a lot more um, on the chill side compared to uh, like there was a, another force there called the GNR who were the Portuguese Special Police, mm-hmm. and they cruise around on these four transits with tear gas grenade launchers on the roof and the full riot kit, um, and yeah, saw them pushing locals around a bit and they were pretty pretty hard stick because um, East Timor was a, was a Portuguese colony right back yep. in, up until like the 90s mm-hmm. or 1900s um, so there's a lot of Portuguese history there but also that, yeah so it was it was quite chaotic mm. being 19 um, cruising around in the city and there's all kinds of you know, crazy stuff going on 
yeah. and just who turns up to things. There were some some events that were, um, I believe it's on the Ross Kemp doco, the night that there uh, the night there where it was a building next to Ross Kemp's hospital. I think it was oh, Ross Kemp's hotel. I think it was a like a government administration building just got burned to the ground. Jeez. I remember being in the gym and like <laughs> turning around with my headphones on and just seeing all the smoke and being like, ah, I think we're about to get run around tonight. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so who who would who would ring the call like lads were off? Um, I remember that one, just finishing up in the gym, and seeing everyone kind of like leaving. I had my headphones on, mm. like I don't know, like a couple of minutes. They didn't hear anything, and it just felt weird. Like no one was around, and I walked back into our barracks, and it's probably thirty guys in our barracks, in one room. Everyone's flapping, putting on shirts and body armor and helmets, and like getting ready to go and i'm standing there in like gym gear with my towel like what what's going on and they're like the alarm went off like the stand two alarm which is like get ready to defend the base alarm off get all your gear on and go man the wall pretty much oh, like, uh, and it's just you know you run through that stand two drill all the time but to actually be doing it you're like what's going on so anyway it was kit up and um that was when we heard about the right a right that had broken out at the hospital in front yeah. of the hospital so jump in the back of the pins gows which are one uh they're the six wheel army trucks you see those like square looking ones with like a canvas canvas back on it or the ones we had were um like the troop carrier ones so they had seats that like faced inward or you can fold it all down so it's just one big flat deck so we'd have it in that flat deck set up sometimes and uh just so you could pretty much get the whole section on the back with everyone facing out and protecting every direction but we'd race down there we'd have all their stuff like uh, riot visors that would clip onto your helmet battens and shields mm-hmm. those like, like like the police style ones the big tall things um, and pretty much race down there and, turn, and if we're the first ones to respond then we get out and we'll fire some tear gas and um, disperse the crowd really and we armed as well or no? yep yeah. So carrying our normal section weapon size so machine gunner, so that was just slung on the back with a pistol and the baton. It was just literally yeah, soldiering equipment and then chuck on some right gear and you're doing that. So like <laughs> you're nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so how, how do you sort of see the military as as right right of passage? Like, do you think that that felt it, or was it more leaving the military for you? Was we had a bit of a right of passage? Um, like you've spoken about on other podcasts, like letting go of the name Gilly, I, you know, yeah. I wasn't in the military, but I had a little bit of the minor understanding of that with the name Stag. Mm. Oh, that's where the, this podcast name partly comes from, having the nickname Stag for most of uni. Yeah. And then it's like, hi, I'm Ryan O'Connor. <laughs> and they're like, who the fuck's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah like, is that where you sort of had a rite of passage or you, or you had a bit of that being in the military? In East Timor? Well, yeah, or just that, in general? That, that for general, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, it certainly was. It was well. They were all things I looked at as a child. Like my mum's, my mum was a librarian for like twenty five years. Mm. She recently just retired. That um, so growing up and just going down to the library with mum and parking up under the bookshelf in the military section mm. and just going cover to cover, like everything, reading everything about all the different wars and conflicts. To actually going over and especially on that first deployment to Timor, well, that was the second one. But that was the first full six-month deployment, and thinking like, yeah, I've done it. I've completed my first tour. That's a, those you know, that's awarded two medals, mm-hmm. um, or your first your operational service medal and 
the general service medal for East Timor and to me that was like oh that to me that just symbolizes like uh, all the people I was there with really mm. and uh yeah to, it, it really is like part of New Zealand history military history all of the different you know all the different hundreds of stories that come from that like that's all just telling our, our story as well mm. and how we you know we've influenced the world in a way and I was like well, it's, it, it was just cool to be part of that yeah yeah go away the military and write a passage for myself of like if I can do that I can do anything like if I can pass all of that and get through all of that alive and not too banged up like to me it's like, I'm, 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 I'm happy with that yeah that's cool yeah and then at the other end coming out the other side yeah that, that was really the that was the decision to leave the regular force and go into the territorials was um, as a corporal like section commander and I just I just finished rehab for my hip mm-hmm mainly because I'd finished rehab as well I'm not going to give them my other one I'm going to get it and do something else and I've also achieved everything I wanted to just going on deployment and a whole lot of things that uh, I didn't expect or mm-hmm. just, I didn't think I would be uh, I certainly didn't um, picture achieving when I got in the place like um, I think just enjoying the time that I'd had and you know, leaving at the right time and mm-hmm leaving intact and not losing too many mates and yeah it was yeah it's one of those things that um yeah i'm glad i did it when you you bring up leaving intact how do you how did you think about mortality and how do you think about mortality now like i said um off off here with afghanistan you were there to replace someone yeah and then more people needed replacing while you were there like how did you think about mortality then and how do you think about it now Oh, then it was. I've just got off, off one of my my really good mates who we went over there together. He was a reserve as well. We were going back through some of the GoPro footage that I had because mm. I had a GoPro mounted to my armor carrier, um, and going through that the actual fly into um, from Kiwi base up to the patrol base at Romero, um, and the three who had been killed uh, in the IED that had only happened a few hours prior and it was like a um, get everyone up there kind of thing and and Americans came and picked us up and flew us up and but to fly over that IED site and look you know down down at the road and it's still smoking huge crater with bits of vehicle and things around and you can see all your mates all dotted out securing the area picking up parts and securing you know waiting for the site exploitation team to come through and do what they need to do and and all of that like flying over that and looking at that and being in the helicopter that's when i was like oh this is real like Mm. never wish for that but it's one of those things that this is what happens in afghanistan this is part of the you know this is what happens here and it was one where uh i was pretty nervous for the first couple of days the first couple of patrols out the gate because it was in a Humvee, the same thing that got you know obliterated. Now I'm and now I'm driving one, and we're at the front of the convoy and we're you know negotiating everything and you're constantly looking for bombs and things, and it was like, am I going to die? And that was that became quite constant, um, to where and it was good. The my the um, my another good still a good mate, he was driving. Um, he's like, are you all right, man? <laughs> were you pumped like, up or was this conversation yeah yeah, yeah we're just we're like talking in the humvee um he's, he's he's driving he's been driving for 
you know, five months around all that. He's like, you're right, man. I was like, no, mate, I'll be honest. Like, I'm, I'm shitting myself a little bit here because we're going through um, areas where IEDs have been put out before mm-hmm. and um, it could be a bit instant flash and you're dead or it could be something a lot more drawn out and it was that kind of thing. Um, and everybody's like, you're right. I was like, no, mate, I'm freaking out. But he's like, put some, put some music on, man. Yeah. We just chucked some sounds on and just started talking. And, the, and like every day that went past from that, it was like, well, I could, I could have died in Lower Hut crossing the road yeah. and gotten hit by a bus. I was like, well, I'm all the way over here. I'm not going to get, um, not, not too fixated or worried about dying or getting injured or anything like that. And letting go of, I think, or trying to work with it of like five people have just been killed that you know, like here a few days ago. Um, how am I going to stay on for eight months? Mm. My my tour was going to be eight months. Um, I thought, well, I better, I think, just kind to just appreciate what it is, like what life and death is now, and um, yeah, enjoy the time I've had, and just do 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 the most I can with the time I have now, because it could be gone at any second. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I did go through a process a few months later of uh, of grieving, and it was pretty unexpected of just. Um, being out after drinking in Amsterdam on leave, I had a uh, in, in theatre leave so that because we were going to be there for more than six months, the um, the the brass you know it was part of the policy that you had to go on leave for at least two weeks. Mm-hmm. So I went to Amsterdam and just went nuts, um, and just yeah had a full like emotional crying in the hotel room for a couple of hours breakdown. Eh, and that was the first time anything like that had happened, and it was for you know thinking about Rory mm. and just how I hadn't grieved really i'd just kind of gotten on with the job of course i felt sad and missed the guy and you know i was angry just angry eh? Mm-hmm. just wanted to go and fight and coming to that point of like i think just really letting all that steam off thinking well he's gone and he's no longer in pain that was where it started to my appreciation for mortality really started to change there right eh? just mm-hmm. um, a few people being killed and the potential of that happening to you mm-hmm. and you know the at the time it was the willingness to do it as well like um the coming home was definitely like you know taking off at the end of it to fly home was definitely one of like yeah had to really think about it and um you know leave it leave a lot of that behind and just i think just let time go by and Mm. yeah was there anything particularly wrong with the humvee they were flat Mm -hmm. flat bottomed Mm. so because roadside bombs these IEDs are placed in in areas under the road where they can they can have their maximum effect so you put them inside a water culvert or a pipe that will just get you all that extra hydraulic pressure and just like force all that you know, the, the better that they're sighted the more damage they're going to do because the Humvees are so low no they're not they weren't designed to counter that they're designed to you know they're built in the 80s I think maybe in the late 70s um, in such a flat place so mm. such a flat base and um wide long chassis like um they just they do not absorb um explosions from underneath very well so what did they adapt they created like a b what, yeah. the w shape yeah the b hole boat hole yeah. style yeah all the modern um all those modern vehicles are you, know, you you'll see all of them with that boat hole pretty yeah. much because for the cost of a i don't know it's just ammonium nitrate the, the, the you know the, the, the explosive use like that it's like cow shit and yeah um diesel isn't it? 
<laughs> I've never done it, never made it, never like tried it, but it's that simple. Yeah. And that's enough to just, what, 60 litres of that, mm-hmm. enough to destroy, destroy a vehicle. So it was seeing how simple that was too, of how to, how they put these things out and the tactics they use and, yeah. That's freaky. Yeah. But it was, yeah, it was one of those, like, it just, with all the, all the wars that have always taken place throughout our, throughout our history, eh, there's, um, whether it was IEDs or it was swords and mm. spears, like, people, people are still willing to go and do that. Yeah. yeah. So, like, we were talking about it over dinner, like, so weird to think about all these things are made for maximum damage. Yeah. Yep. Maximum effect, maximum... Yeah, destruction really. Yeah. Now you forge. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's the ethos? What's the plan? Um. So. At the moment, teaching breath work, cold water therapy, and outdoor adventure training, and that really came to be from. I was just got to this point. It was before I went to this first breath work workshop. I was like, what do I want to do? So mm-hmm. I just got to a point of working at the job I was working and thinking, um, I really want to work for myself. I'd love to be able to do something I love doing and re- yeah, really be able to have that freedom to it as well. And so it came about by, um, especially after going for my first cold water swims, just taking myself out and like the breath work, people asking, what are you doing? Mm. What's that? And you know, talking them through it and wanting to come out and do it. I thought, well, yeah, that was one of the the biggest um, takeaways from the army for sure was the adult education side of it, and I just love teaching, love um, I think just being able to part some of that knowledge, mm. part knowledge in different ways and ways that people can take it and run with it and really get into them themselves. So mm-hmm. yeah, and like if I thought of it like forge, like you're um, you're tempering yourself, mm. like you're putting yourself to the coals and you you get you putting yourself through the hard work and the discipline to really shaped something that's a bit finer you know, at the other end hopefully yeah and so if people, people want to get involved how, how, what would they what would they need to be able to do um come come to you or are you going to be coming yeah so i've got my um so at, at my home at kiwi lines out in the forest there um to be able to have people come and stay out there with me or i've been taking a few different public um taking a few public swims over the years as well as yeah, working directly with teams and businesses to say, hey, there's a you know a whole, whole team of you that want to go through it and do a um, either go through a breathwork session, like something a bit more like quite in depth, or um, a group swim, or just a bit of a combination. Um, the newest addition to that is definitely the outdoors training. So, um, especially taking youth youth groups like Map and Compass. Um, that fun stuff like how to start a fire and how to cook a meal and how to um yeah find water and build a shelter like some of those skills that are um definitely pretty forgotten i think Mm -hmm. to be able to just really bring it all together and it's um yeah a great way to to connect with the outdoors and really just i I really want to be just give the people the tools to be able to go and have your own adventures eh? and be able to really just and you you really want to go out and go through something therapeutic Awesome. But I love traveling too. I love coming up, um, yeah, getting around the country and um, running it that way too. That sounds good. So where do people find it? Um, so forge.co.nz. That's got the um, just a bit more of a about me and um, 
yeah, pretty much the um, like the contact for, for getting informed, like through the email and whatnot, as well as uh, Facebook and Instagram. Spent mm-hmm. more time on Instagram, I think, and it's been um, it's been really cool to just have have a uh, have some really cool connections with people, especially after talking on um, on podcasts about um, the experiences I've had, and to say like if you've had you may have had some horrific traumatic experience, but yeah, it's it's still a it's still about choices I think and you you know you you you're able to live and exist free of all of that pain mm-hmm. all of that it'll all just become wisdom eventually I like to think yeah it's cool that we can talk about it awesome mate so what keeps you in flow do you have a mantra a way you live your life or just a behaviour or something that means that things go well uh, I'm certainly optimistic. Mm-hmm. But I do, I do like to just apply energetic force, mm. way, even if it's just mentally, or if it's or, you know combining it with breath work and combining it with a practice, and you know loving myself and being grateful for every everyone and everything around me and everything that's happened and everything that's going to happen. I just uh, I don't call it faith, but. Um, I'm just always going to keep maintain the positive outlook on things, and I'm going to do things for my body that make me feel really good. Like yoga's been a new one for me. Of, um, I can actually sit cross-legged comfortably now because of it, and I can, um, yeah, just my I feel like my experience is is greater. It's helped me to heal my body and keep it. Um, I think just keep myself in check really, and know that when I'm starting to feel upset or a bit out of balance, then I can do something about that. Just being able to do like a short breathwork routine or go for a run or go get in the cold water or go do you know something that's good for me like now i'll just i'll really go and do it and help me to keep myself in flow and in balance and if i feel depressed then i feel depressed mm-hmm. sweet all right i'm going to bed <laughs> fuck this i'm going i don't I'm, you know it's, it's a thing i just i can just accept now and that i suppose that uh that drop down of being depressed about something like it's just a lot easier now when it's like okay of course i'm depressed something sad happened or something really bad happened so um being able to just have some vent for things that's been that's been the best thing for me for sure brilliant mate yeah man awesome this has been fantastic thank you so much for thank letting you, me know you're in the neighborhood and and uh, being able to sit down and have a, a chat in person it's been and sheila meal has been pretty good mate yeah dude uh, thank you very much mate it's lovely to be here and um yeah i appreciate it